What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Collective Network. My name is John Kroom. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review as it helps us out quite a bit. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for tuning back in. If this isn't your first time, if this is your first time on the Out of Collective Network, uh, thanks. And uh, yeah, hit that subscribe button and uh, make sure you come back and tune in. We got guests from all over the world and doing all kinds of crazy disciplines. And uh, you also get like three other podcasts besides uh, Coffee and Van Chats. There's The Pursuit, there's Out of Bounds, the podcast Out of Bounds, and then uh, Big Stick Energy. So please be sure to stick around. Check out those episodes if you haven't already. Uh, I know Adam X just had a really badass surfer on not too long ago, so that was pretty cool. So be sure to go check that out. Uh, But I'm really stoked to tell you about my guest. My guest is Nico Deportago. Cabrera. I think I pronounced that right. And uh, if I didn't, Nico, I'm so, so sorry. Uh, I butchered it for the second time in uh, in our interview, which you'll hear here shortly. But uh, anyways, we sit down with Nico. Nico's a very interesting character because I, I actually kind of looked up to Nico because um, he kind of came into the sport of cycling very unconventionally. Like he was a bike messenger. He um, you know, he yeah, he just wasn't your typical cyclist. And long story short, he ends up doing some of the hardest fucking bike races in the world. Um, and we sit down, we chat stories about that. He does them with his best friends too, which is even like freaking cooler. And so, yeah, be, be sure to, I'm just going to shut up and you, you guys can just listen to this podcast because he is a, he's just a very, very cool dude. That's lived a very, very interesting life. And he, the way he's gotten from point A to point B, like is super inspiring and and it just kind of makes you think like if you want to do something you can you don't have to do it a conventional way just kind of go out and do it um and and put your own flair to it you never know who's gonna who's gonna jump on top of that but anyways enough of me chatting let's go ahead and dive into this week's sponsors and first up is goo energy labs guys if you haven't already please make sure you go check out goo energy labs i'll put a link down in the description below for you to go check it out but i'm i'm a huge fan of their hydration tablets um I use those while I travel, um, and they have some great flavors. I'm a huge fan of the orange. Um, but yeah, I just dropped two in my big Nalgene, and I make sure I stay hydrated on all my bike flights and um, and make sure that I'm you know ready to go um, for all my trips. So be sure to check out Goo Energy Labs. Link down in the description below. Also back for another episode of Sierra Nevada. Guys, if you haven't already, please make sure you go check out Sierra Nevada Brewing at sierranevada.com. Um, yeah, my favorite beer, like I said, is the Torpedo IPA and the Hazy Little Thing IPA. So be sure to check out SierraNevadaBrewing.com, uh, the SierraNevadaBrewing.com uh, or SierraNevada.com. Um, and yeah, you can check that out. Uh, most of most of the liquor stores should have Sierra Nevada. If they don't, be sure to ask for it uh, and they'll get you squared away. New for this week is Mountain Flow. Guys, this is a chain lube and they also make uh, ski wax and all kinds of crazy cool stuff. Um, but it's a plant-based product. All the products are plant-based, biodegradable and non-toxic. Nearly everything else is made from petroleum and whatever you put on your bike, it ends up in the environment. So be sure to go check out Mountain Flow. Um, you just go to mountainflow.com and that's mountainflow.com and you can use code out of bounds to get 15% off all products. Uh, it's USA, USDA certified bio-based. <clears throat> Basically, they're not making that shit up. So they got it all uh, you know, verified by third, for third parties and made sure that shit was real. So be sure to go check them out. Um, that's Mountain Flow. Uh, link down in the description below. Also back for another episode is spot insurance. Guys, you know, I've talked about spot for like the last two years now. And if you listen to this podcast, 
and haven't signed up for spot yet, I really don't know what you're doing because honestly, you're probably listening to this podcast because you're an adventurer and uh, we put our lives on the lines as adventurer every single day. When we go hiking, when we go skiing, when we go you know, mountain biking, when we go road riding, whatever. Um, and honestly, like it's a good... It's a good thing to have more or less to kind of like a safety net. Like I'm not, don't worry so much about your bike handling skills. Worry about that car that's going to possibly turn into you or worry about that route that you didn't expect or you didn't see that you're going to wash out on and break your collarbone because I broke my collarbone and I was left with a 10 or $12,000 medical bill. And this was before I had spot. And uh, if you get spot, you can actually get up to $20,000 in coverage without medical insurance. So if you don't have medical insurance, this is even something you should be looking at, but it's gonna be outofbounds.getspot.com. That's outofbounds.getspot.com. We'll also put a link down in the description below. But honestly, if you don't have this yet, I really don't know what you're thinking. Um, So be sure to go check out Spot Insurance today. Um, It is one of those things where people kick themselves. I've literally had people message me like after they've had an accident and they're like, hey, can I still sign up for spot? And uh, probably not. I'm not even sure if you can do that. So just go ahead, sign up for it. It's super, 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 super affordable. It's like, um, it's anywhere from like, you know, 15 to $40 a month or something like that. And I, I and I can't confirm that, but if you click, click the link down in the description below, I do know that they give you a deal, but it's different in every state and every city, that kind of thing. So uh, yeah, anyways, be sure to go check that out. That's uh, outofbounds.getspot.com. But anyways, enough of the sponsors, dude. Let's uh, dive into this episode with Nico. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Collective Network. My name is John Krim. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. But we're sitting here with Nico Deportego Cabrera. Did I, did I put, this is the second time around. Was that pretty good? That's pretty good. Uh, it's Deportado. Deportado. See, I, that, that's, that's the white American shit flair accent uh, that I have. Dude, my name <laughs> is like this long. It's ridiculous. I think it's kind of sick. My name's John Croom. Like, come on, man. That's way cooler. I'm I'm always like running out of like, uh, you know, uh, characters when I have to like fill out forms and stuff. (laughs) Well, anyways, yeah. So we were chatting earlier, diving in, you know, we, we pretty much did a podcast for 10 minutes with shit Wi-Fi on both ends, but it's all good. We're back. We're ready to roll. Um, But anyways, let's, let's just go back into it, man. In the sense of like, where do you all get started? Because I, after hearing a little bit about it previously, which you'll dive into here in a second, I think you're probably one of the guests that has the coolest jobs in a lifetime. And, you know, now working at SRAM, you know, it's like you were a messenger and you, you've kind of done it all. So let's let's just dive into how you ended up getting into the messenger life. Yeah, man. So uh, I once upon a time worked as an automobile mechanic. Uh, in a former life. Like when I was in high school, I worked on cars. Um, I, I briefly went to uh, like automotive technical school after high school um, and wound up getting a job at a Ford dealership before uh, I finished school. They were like, we'll finish your education here. So I dropped out of school, worked there for a while. Uh, I wound up losing my driver's license when I was like 20 because I was you know, being 20 and an idiot and, you know, yeah. getting drunk and driving and crashing cars and, you know, live that's fast not cool. Not all that hell stuff. Yeah, not that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but uh, shit happens. Not the, not the greatest things. 
Um, yeah. But uh, so it, you know, it kind of forced me to exist without a car, right? For and sure. uh, you know, I kind of slowed down the, the the partying after all that, and uh, discovered other things. So essentially, like I, I came upon a beater bicycle. Uh, ironically, it was like a Rolling Rock branded, like you know, uh, Taiwanese like Walmart bike. I'm sure really it, fucking it cool, probably now. Like it was, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it was kind of just like this thing that I I hopped on on my days off to like go explore the city that I live in in Chicago, and so that's kind of how I developed uh, like a love for cycling. So. I worked all kinds of, you know, random labor jobs after that, like stuff that you didn't need an education for. Um, I was on like a, a crew of people who did the visual displays for uh, stores like like Louis Vuitton and Cole Haan, Which is Bulgari, cool. <laughs> Swarovski. Yeah. It was totally, to- super rad job. Um, yeah. I worked for this rec- record producer uh, who was converting like an old cold storage warehouse into like this big music complex. And that was the last job that I had before I got into working as a courier. And, you know, like I said, on, on my days off, I would, I would hop on my beater bike and just go explore Chicago. Like I didn't have much money at the time. And so it was kind of like this thing I could do for free uh, that was extremely entertaining and kind of like, for me, it was like unlocking all these doors in the city, right? Like I would, I would get to all these neighborhoods I hadn't been to. I would, I would see, uh, you know, restaurants or cafes that I've never been to or just you know just different parts of the city and and really just was able to discover uh how unique Chicago really is I feel like a lot of people here they they live in their neighborhood they maybe work downtown they might exist in some places in between but that's kind of like your experience right and and on a bike you can really get anywhere so from that, I, I kind of got it in my head that like being a bike messenger would be a really rad job. And there was this messenger company whose office was uh, like a block north of my apartment. And it was kind of in between me and the, re- the recording studio I worked at. So I'd pass it all the time. And one day I just went in there. Uh, it was like a Thursday. And I asked if they were hiring. And they asked me some like really basic questions. They're like, do you have a bike? like yeah i got a bike <laughs> yeah like do you got a messenger bag and i was like i got a messenger bag and they're like all right we'll come back tomorrow we'll put you on the road and we'll see how it goes <laughs> so i did that i came back the next day and they put me on the road with this dude jose who was the dispatcher there um who is the person who basically tells all the messengers where to go right and uh he took me around he showed me like where all our clients were like the addresses where to go into certain buildings because you weren't always allowed at the front door uh, showed me like, hey, this spot, you go to Lower Wacker and you hit the, the loading dock. Um, this is the messenger center for this building, stuff like that. Just kind of like the the, the tribal knowledge, so to speak. Um, he uh, probably rode with them for like half a day uh, before we grabbed some lunch and went back to the office. And they were like, well, what did you think? And I was like, when can I start? And they were like, come back Monday. Uh, we'll get you hell set yeah. up. So I was like, hell yeah. So I, I went back to my, my recording studio job that day and I told my boss, uh, this dude, Johnny K, a uh, really rad guy, made some great records. And uh, he knew I was into bikes and he was like, yeah, man, go forth and prosper, do what you do. Uh, and that's, that's how it started. My first day of work was uh, July 19th, uh, 2008 at Apex Courier. 
subsequently would also later become my wedding day. Uh, so that. There was that planned or was that just ironic? Uh, it, it kind of just happened that way. Um, and oh, I, okay. I, I appreciate the, uh, the way it all unfolded Two two yeah, very big moments in my life, you know? Yeah. Cause I mean, dude, you probably getting that job changed your life. I mean, absolutely. Like insane amount. I mean, you were a professional athlete is, and like, you know, some people that listen to this podcast may not know that like there were professional messengers. And so like we were talking about sure. it earlier, but like, what was that? Like, what did that, how did that even work? So it was, I mean, honestly, like it was the coolest job I've ever had. Uh, I mean, I love my job now. It's really rad. I get to do some amazing things for it. Uh, but I still look out my office window at all the buildings downtown. I'm like, man, it'd be so great to just do a set from there to there, to there, to there, to there right now. Um, yeah. but essentially like you, you, you exist on your own, um, in a way. So you, you ride into the downtown zone and you've got a radio like back in the, at that time we all used Nextel. So I carried a Nextel like on the strap of my messenger bag and a pager and, uh, we all had numbers. So my number was 138 which I thought was rad being a huge Misfits fan when they gave me 138. I was like, okay, this is meant to be. <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah. So they uh, they would, you know, hit you up on the radio, like 138, and you'd be like, yo, what's up? And be like, uh, head to, you know, uh, 130s Randolph for a set out of Baker. And then you would be like, all right. And you would head to 130s Randolph. And while you were en route, uh, you would get a bunch of info come, coming through on the pager that was like uh, who you were picking up from, what it was, where it was going. And that was basically your day. You did that for like eight, nine hours a day. And uh, yeah, so I would, I would spend every day just like, uh, you know, zipping around downtown, just basically picking stuff up and putting it down someplace else. Yeah. But, you know, you, you operate in like a lot of different industries. Sometimes you're doing stuff for financial companies. Sometimes it's creative. Sometimes it's, you know, property management. It could be anything, architects, uh, really anybody who needed to get something from A to B would, and still does use, use a courier to do it. Um, but were there any that, times like, where you, you, were there any times where you felt like you were doing something sketchy? Oh, like you, I mean, definitely, uh, <laughs> like for sure. Um, and, and if it wasn't, sketchy what i was delivering uh i was riding sketchy to deliver it <laughs> yeah know, like, i was <laughs> i was ripping around downtown on a track bike with no brakes um cutting in and out of cars and you know doing all the things that people hate to see cyclists do um yeah yeah you know you I, that that was me for 13 years uh but but you know while you're doing that like it's people people think it's you know, sketchy or dangerous, or, you know, you, when you're sitting behind the wheel or you're sitting in the backseat of a cab and you see a messenger do some maneuver, you know, cutting traffic or whatever, it, it seems, seems a lot sketchier than it is. Like when you're out there uh, and you're immersed in traffic, like all day long, um, you really do develop this other sense for it. And for sure, you know, I, I could like wax poetic about it all day long, but it, it is very much like the way surfers know the swells, right? Um, yeah. you know, the way traffic operates on any given block, you know, the timing of the lights, you know, uh, 
when people are going to change lanes before they do. And, and you really do kind of develop this, this third eye for, for all these things. And so it, it, it does come across pretty nuts, but it, to us, it feels very smooth and, and buttery and, and not erratic like it might to like, you know, the onlooker, but you put down a lot of miles, you do a lot of sprinting, um, you know, there's almost zero recovery. Uh, and so it really does work you. Um, and you know, the faster you are, the more money you can make. And so there is like this motivation to go hard and, and to be fast and, and to push it and, and see how much you can do, which is kind of like where the athleticism comes in. Um, which we would demonstrate in our own weird way through uh, our own brand of events. So there's these things yeah. called alley cat races, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are probably at least aware of at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like, I I'm familiar with them and like, I know them and I know that even us spandex fools have tried to rip it off, you know, like there's the casual, like, Oh, you know, come to your alley cat cycle cross race. And it's not the same. Like, it's not the same as like what's because like what you guys had going on, which for you, it might not seem that much underground, but it seemed so underground. Like you had to be in the know of the know of the know to not only go do it and watch it, but to probably get in. Wouldn't you for say? Sure. Like, it, especially like, like when I started, like, um, I mean, obviously like everybody had Facebook and, and Instagram was you know, not long to follow, but we communicated these things through like flyers and, uh, you know, stuff that you would make at home and then take to Kinko's to Xerox a bunch of copies of, and then you'd hand out the flyers at the standby spots. And there was like a, you know, like the messenger mailing list was like a, an email group that you could sign up for. And, and a lot of that kind of information was distributed internationally through the messenger mailing list. And, those things don't exist as much anymore because we, we were able to communicate these things through, you know, social media, story. but yeah, at yeah. the time, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, if you didn't get my flyer for my downtown shakedown alley cat, like you didn't know about it. Right. So it, yeah. it, in that sense, it was, it was underground and you kind of needed to, to be connected or, or at the very least like adjacent to the, to the culture yeah. to kind of participate. Yeah. And so, I guess my thing is, is when did the brands start squeezing in? Cause like you started seeing groups pop out. What was like mash and like, you know, these different, like the Bay area, the Portland, you know, like yep. there was these groups and you kind of were a part of that. And I would say even Chaz was kind of a part of that, like culture Definitely. as well. And so it was like, and which it makes it even cooler to see where you guys are at today, like to see your life progression and like what, somebody would have looked at you and been like, you know, Ugh, you know, bike messenger <laughs> totally. guy is like, right, now right. you're like, you're working for one of the biggest bike brands doing, I think what you guys love to do, which is content and media and, and, and totally. that kind of thing. And so it's so fucking cool to see how you guys have progressed. So like, when did the brand start to kind of sort of insert themselves and start to reach out to you guys? So honestly, it was kind of right around the time that I started doing these events. Um, which is kind of how I got rope, roped into all of it. Like, uh, certainly I never set out to have a career in cycling. Like I was interested in being a bike messenger because of bike messenger things, not really because of cycling things. Um, 
And so I started participating in these races because it was part of our culture. You know, so for me, it was like less out of a um, motivation to be like a bike racer and, and more out of a motivation to like be connected with this community in a way. So like 2008, the NACs were in Chicago. The NAC is the North American Cycle Courier Championship. And it's, uh, it's a yearly event that happens in a different city around North America every year. Um, there's a, a similar thing in Europe, the ECMC, there's the CMWC, which is like the, the world championship version. But they're all kind of the same thing where it's, it's like a weekend long event where uh, there's like a work simulation race, right? And, and basically yeah. people get together to see who the fastest bike messenger is. So you're, you're literally delivering, you know, fake packages around a fake city um, for a weekend to see who can do the most packages, who's the best you know, being at work on their day off. Uh, okay. So these races would happen. And then we had alley cat races, which were basically kind of like the, uh, uh, I guess the more grassroots version, like it was in open traffic. It wasn't on a closed course. Uh, you might pay five bucks to, to join and the winner might win the pot and then buy everybody drinks afterwards or whatever. But that being said, these events would always kind of seek some form of sponsorship, uh, whether that was through like, you know, uh, a messenger bag company like Reload, who would do like customer custom uh, messenger bags for a lot of these events or like Chrome would would always be down to like, here's here's some bags, here's some threads. Um, so some of these like uh, smaller brands would participate in in like this like racing aspect of messenger culture. And I, I think eventually that started to trickle upwards. Um, in yeah. 2008, Red Bull signed uh, Austin Horse, who was a messenger out in New York, incredibly fast dude, won a ton of alley cats, uh, multiple you know, times winning world championships, North Americans, that kind of thing. Uh, total badass on the bike, really smart dude when it comes to like logistics. So all, all the things that make a messenger fast he had. And he was probably among the first, if not the first, to really get that kind of um, big sponsorship, like from brand that wasn't like specifically like operating in our scene, right? Like some people might get deals with, with someone like Chrome or Reload, but I think, and maybe some of my, you know, uh, colleagues uh, w would say otherwise, but I think he was like the first to kind of get that right, and it was it yeah. Was I mean, deal. I've I've even heard of Austin. Yeah. So like, like Austin I know. Was, yeah, I know who Austin is. Like it. It was for for a lot of us in in the scene. It was like, oh whoa, like you can you can elevate this in 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 this kind of way, right? And um, so that that happened, and it definitely became. Uh, you know, more commonplace to see, you know, now bike brands throwing down prizes for, for alley cats or, or, you know, messenger championships. And it, it stopped being super niche as far as like the sponsors that would turn up. And I do think that like every decade or so, like popular culture kind of refalls in love with the idea of the bike messenger. Like, you know, like everybody, We'll joke about like Quicksilver in the 80s with Kevin Bacon or whatever, but like that was yeah, like yeah. popular culture romanticizing this kind of like um, 
you know, like uh, like the last cowboys of like this like urban frontier, right? Like that was kind of for like sure, how sure. popular culture would view it. And and in the '90s, there was there was you know uh, like some sitcoms or messengers would often get referenced in things, right? And so I think popular culture was kind of always some way aware that there was this community or like this scene this like counterculture to mainstream cycling and i would say around 2008 2009 uh bigger brands started paying attention to like what we were doing um so 2009 i wound up winning the north american courier championship in uh in boston and that kind of garnered me my first like cycling sponsorship with all city cycles um who at the time was like super small qbp brand they had like a track bike and they were like talking about like maybe doing like a single speed cross bike like super small brand started by this dude jeff brain really rad guy um he reached out to me and he was like interested in putting me and uh this other messenger in chicago christina peck um who also won uh, the women's uh, category that year also won overall. That was like actually the first time someone uh, in the women's category beat all the men too. Um, wow. And, you know, we were both from Chicago. So it was kind of like, you know, we had like a little story around it or whatever. So Jeff reached out to both of us and, and put us on bikes. And like, that was like my first sponsorship. And I was like, whoa, I'm like, I'm kind of like an athlete. Like I grew up skateboarding. And so yeah, were you, me, this were was you like, like very s- similar were you searching for any of this or was it just like, did it no, just kind man, of come like, to your door all. kind of thing? Not yeah. at all. It totally just kind of happened that way. Like when I finished that race in Boston, like I was really stoked. I was like, oh dude, I think I did really good. Like I, I might've broke the top 20. And then like when they called me on the stage, I was like, wait, what? Are you, huh? You sure? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, like I, I participated because I thought it was like this fun thing to do, not because I was like chasing anything in particular. And so that was kind of like where it started. Like all city was kind of like how I got into my head that I could develop these relationships with companies that I thought were cool. Um, and to, to a degree where it was mutually beneficial. And, and in the early days, it was very much just like it was product based, like, Hey, we can give you a bike or like we can, you know, burn, we can give you a helmet burn we can give you a helmet and we can give you like a couple grand which you know as a messenger like two thousand dollars life-changing like, yeah <laughs> totally like, yeah. whoa I'm, yeah. I'm getting paid to ride my bike wow. I'm, I'm rich it's like now that's like a month's rent for most people right? yeah yeah um, yeah yeah so like you know so some of these like smaller brands uh kind of coming in and and participating in that way kind of put it in my head that i could do something else with all this right and eventually uh red bull took notice of me and i signed with them in 2014 and then it was kind of like all right well let's go full gas because like now i'm like i'm a red bull athlete i got a red bull helmet there's people who are like way more talented than me who are you know in this kind of same category uh yeah yeah And so I was like, all right, well, let's use this as an opportunity to just like, I don't know, take a path that I never thought I was going to take. Yeah. And so when does like, when does the transfer come to you riding across the world and doing these crazy epic events and week long ultra distance stuff? Cause that's kind of when I started to take notice of you and that's 
when I started to latch into your Instagram and into your media, and then, you know, obviously I can go back and, you know, there's Red Bull videos of you, you know, racing through the streets of New York or something and like racing yeah, a taxi yeah. and like all these cool videos. But now you're doing these events like that are just insane. And I don't even know what some of them are. Like I can't, you know, list them. You probably list them off, but like you've done some crazy events all over the world. Yeah, man. So I think I like I'm, I'm always kind of trying to like evolve in a way, right? Like once, once I do something for a while and like maybe it catches on with like a larger group of people, uh, like the contrarian in me is like, okay, well, I can't do that anymore. Like what's next. Right. So I was doing the messenger event thing for like a long time, uh, before I kind of got into any other types of cycling and, and I was very happy to, to do that. Like I would, I would go to the NAC every year. I would go to CMWC every year, maybe travel to a few different alley cats each year. And, you know, I had Red Bull behind me, so it was, it was easy. I was very lucky to be able to like get flights to all these places and, uh, you know, uh, get bonuses when I got on podiums and, and, you know, like do the, the pro athlete thing, but I was, I was kind of doing it within this space that I would have been existing in whether Red Bull was contributing or not. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, being around other athletes, uh, you know, Red Bull was always really cool about bringing us together. We would have these athlete summits and, and you would just, you know, you would hang out with windsurfers or skydivers or like whatever kooky sport um, uh, any, any given athlete was, was into. And, and so it was really like, really kind of opened up my eyes and was like, well, well you, you know, you're part of this, this family that has like a lot of sway in the world. And like, you know, maybe it's time to like now branch out and try something different. And so um, I got involved with this brand, Pedaled, uh, the, the apparel brand um, out of Italy in 2015, where I was tapped to do a photo shoot while I was down at Cycle Messenger World Championships, which was in Australia. So I went down for the Messenger World Championships, spent a couple weeks there. And then I, at the end of it, I spent a week doing a photo shoot for Pedaled. Um, really rad company, really cool people, uh, made some great friends there and, and from that photo shoot. And so I kind of kept in touch with them. Well, Pedaled sponsors uh, the Transcontinental, which to me is like the, the, the grandmother of all ultra races. I think a lot of people think of stuff like, like Race Across America, Ram. Uh, but for me, Transcontinental was like the first thing that I had ever heard of that, that was you know an ultra race. By that point, I had, had been getting into gravel. So I was doing like uh, Unbound, uh, Mid-South, those races, some smaller gravel races in the Midwest. So I was kind of already getting turned on to like- uh, What year is this? Mile race. This would have been, uh, 2015 was uh, when I did that photo shoot with Pedaled. And then I think my first Unbound would have been 2016. Maybe it was 2015. So this is, so this is right around the time where gravel is starting to get maybe noticed totally right totally yeah and so like i i in a way i felt like it was like this this new thing you know like mainstream cycling hadn't quite caught on yet every brand under the you know uh blue sky didn't yet have a gravel blank product you know? road bikes didn't have disc brakes yet like totally. i think like, around that time tubeless yeah. tires were still like what like, huh? yeah, confusing. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, it was definitely like transitional, right? Uh, 
which was very attractive to me. Like, oh, here's this thing that like the rest of cycling hasn't caught on to really yet. Not to say that like, you know, it didn't already have its culture kind of blooming, right? For sure. um, but to me, it was like very new. Um, and, you know, my, my buddies back home weren't really hip to it yet. And so um, I kind of started getting into some of those races and kind of getting switched on to the idea of, of doing like long distance stuff. So, yeah, I would say 2015, 2016, I started doing these gravel distance events. And then in 2017, um, I was just having a, a phone call with, with Chaz and we were just kind of catching up and chatting about stuff. And, uh, you know, I had at that point had like a pretty good relationship with Pedaled. They were kicking me threads and, you know, I'd post about it. And uh, he was like, hey, have you, you, you know, you, you've been working with that brand. Like, what do you know about like the transcontinental? Like, I'm, I'm thinking about doing it. And that's when I was like, okay, let's talk more about this now. Because the photographs that were coming out of that event um, at the time were primarily shot by this dude, Camille, um, who now throws this really gnarly ultra race in the Pyrenees uh, called Further. But Camille was like taking these amazing photos of all these like epic places across Europe and just like photos of riders just like wrecked and like clapped hanging out on for dear life packing yeah. bags like covered in all the grime and and when he said like hey have you heard of transcontinental then like i immediately like it wasn't really on my radar but you know i'd seen these photos and i was like oh yeah i know exactly what you're talking about and he's like i'm I, like i think i want to do it and i was like well i I kind of want to do it too. Like they got a pairs category. Like you want to like, just try it together. Like neither of us had done anything like that before. And so he was like, yeah, like let's figure this out. And, and this was like maybe two months before the race. Um, and so I reached out to uh, my, my dude at Padelead. I was like, Hey, you know, Chaz and I are kind of interested in doing this race. Like what's the deal. And he's like, well, it's usually like a, like a long application process. It's like people plan this for like a year before they go do it. But he's like, well, we are the sponsor of the event. And so we do have some um, entries. So, you know, I, if you guys are down, like we'd be willing to, to comp your entries for that. You still got to go through the application process. You still got to get approved, blah, blah, blah. But if you get approved, we got you. So we're like, all right. And so we just started meeting on the phone once a week and like talking about the race and trying to figure it out. Like we didn't have any friends who had done anything like this. Um, you know, we had both done like bike tours and stuff, but like nothing like, nothing like this. Um, yeah. And so the transcontinental specifically, and I think this is why it appealed to us is it's not a fixed route, right? Um, Ram, Tour Divide, uh, Trans Am, uh, GB Dura, like all these are all like fixed route races, but the transcontinental is unique in that there's a start, there's a finish, and there's four control points that each have a parkour section, which is like, okay, you have to ride this point to this point, And there's a checkpoint along the way where you get your little brevet card stamp. And we were like, well, this sounds like a giant alley cat to us. And like, we're like, that's how you race an alley cat. They tell you, hey, here's 10 addresses, go figure it out. And once they say go, you're on your own. And if you get a flat tire, you've got to fix your flat. If you get hit by a car, you got to deal with that. Like if the weather turns yeah, yeah. shit, you got to deal with that. And we were like, this, this transcontinental sounds like an alley cat that's just like happens to be 4,000 kilometers instead of, you know, 
uh, an hour and a half long. So two kilometers. That's kind of like ten kilometers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So like that's kind of like what what like switch switched us on to it, and uh, so yeah, like we set out to do it. It started in Gerardsbergen, Belgium. Like you would start at ten o'clock at night. Uh, everybody would start in the town square. Everyone in town would gather. Uh, there's this dude dressed in like a tri brim hat or whatever those like hats are called and he's got this bell that he's ringing and the entire town was like holding torches along the mirror and you start oh, with wow. like this victory lap and then you climb the mirror and then everybody splits off into the into the night and goes whatever their chosen route to the first checkpoint is and dude it was mind-blowing like again like this was not something that was on our radar. This was the fifth edition of this race. Um, so, you know, there was already this community there and we were just kind of like, we dove right into it and we were like, this is unreal. And so we did everything wrong that year. We made the worst <laughs> routing choices. We brought yeah. all this stuff that we didn't need and didn't bring all this stuff that we did need. Um, like literally every mistake that you could make as like a rookie we made. Um, we, we wound up making it to the fourth control point, which was in uh, uh, Romania on the uh, Transfagarsen Highway. Epic climb uh, out of uh, Wallachia into Transylvania or the other way around, I forget. Um, when we got to the fourth control point, we uh, realized that we didn't have time to get to the finish before the flights that we had already booked out of Athens, but the race finished in Greece. And so we had flights back to North America out of Athens. We just didn't give ourselves enough time. We, we looked into like, you know, changing our flights. And by that point, there was like no way we could afford that. We were headed to the Cycle Messenger World Championships in Montreal directly from the finish of this race. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we spent an hour trying to figure out like, well, can we make this happen? Like, and we would have had to have like a perfect race. I think we had something like 650 miles to cover in like three and a half days to give ourselves enough Jeez. time to get to the, from the finish to Athens. And I was like, no, man, we can do this. Like I did unbound in like, you know, 14 hours, like, uh, Jeez. just multiply that by three and, you know, which is not yeah. anywhere near the same thing. Math. Uh, but that, that, <laughs> that was like, that was my math. Right. Uh, yeah. and so so whatever like we had to scratch and we went and spent a couple of days in athens flew to the messenger world championships had a great time in montreal saw all our friends told them all these crazy stories from the road um i wound up getting third place which was the best finish i ever had at a world championships and that was actually the last messenger world championships i made it to um but we knew we didn't finish and we wanted to finish we were actually in second place in the pairs category when we scratched. So we were like, oh man, like we, we could do pretty good at this. So we came back the next year, did it all over again, righted all our wrongs and wound up being the first pair to finish that year. Wow. Um, and so the transcontinental was kind of like, I would say the first unbound in 2016 transcontinental in, in 2017. Like that was kind of where I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to move on from like these messenger races and, and get into something else, get into whatever's going to come next. 
so yeah, those were definitely the ones that did it for me. And then it was just a Pandora's box from there. You're like, oh, well, there's Tour Divide. Yeah. There's the Atlas Mountain Race. There's uh, Trans Pyrenees. There's like, you know, uh, these two or three day races. There's the Colorado Trail. There's stage, and, you know, and then it kind of just, the whole world opened up. And, and also more events started showing up because more people started getting into this style of racing. And, and now bikepacking is like, I mean, you can go get totally set up at an REI. You know, like you don't really have yeah. to seek out much. Like you can go, you can get a bike, you can get bags, you can get all the gear you need. Like it's, it's very much an accessible uh, form of cycling for a lot of people. There's so, also like um, multiple events all over the world that oh yeah cater to bike packing now. Absolutely, I mean, and it's and it's really so, cool. And, and people get creative with the events. They seem to get gnarlier and gnarlier every year. Like I remember when yeah. the first uh, like promo video for the Silk Road Mountain Race uh, popped up, and I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be the next race on my calendar. I can't do it the inaugural edition, but I'll definitely come back year two. And then I like I watched it play out on Instagram, and and how much hell everybody went through. <laughs> I was like, "I'm good. On <laughs> Never that. mind. Like, I'm, Never yeah, mind. No, I'll watch from and, far. And so, how do you find yourself? at stram like i mean you're working there with Chaz now too right like are you guys in the same department yeah more or less so he's currently a contractor with us we we contracted him to do um like our our youtube series um i got like brought into sram by the guy who's now my current boss declan uh at sram yeah, yeah. he hit me up in 2015 i got like a it's funny, like the same way I got signed to Red Bull, like I was on Facebook and the little like DM window popped up and he was like, Hey, my name's Declan Doyle. I'm, I work at Zip. Like, uh, I want to talk to you. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's talk Declan. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we just, we like hopped on a call and he's like, uh, he's always kind of looking to like non-traditional cyclists um, as ambassadors, like, like he has brought in a bunch of like F1 drivers and like IndyCar drivers or like MMA fighters or, you know, people who are not cyclists who are into cycling. He's been like, let's, let's get these, let's get these people on zip. And so that's what he did with me. He, uh, he hit up me in Austin, um, our friend, Kim, uh, Kim nonstop, who's also kind of part of this whole, like, you know, messenger yes. culture, who's, blossomed into something else uh and Chaz and so he kind of brought the four of us in as zip ambassadors uh sent us some like clincher track wheels and sent us groupos and you know uh we, we got to build some really rad bikes and and we got brought into the SRAM family uh through that like uh he was like yeah I saw this video you and this dude Austin did out in Beirut I thought that was amazing and like I think you guys should be doing that on zip. And I was like, Declan, I think I should be doing that on zip. And he was like, all right, let's get you on zip. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, I, I was an ambassador with, with zip and SRAM for, for many years um, from 2015. And I mean, I mean, on up and I still, you know, consider myself one just because I, I write our stuff and I participate in, in the community and the culture. Um, but in 2020, I did not resign with Red Bull. And, uh, you know, I kind of found myself, I was like, well, I was still working as a bike messenger. Uh, I had two very good messenger gigs here in Chicago. Uh, and then COVID hit 
and you know me and my wife got engaged that year and i just felt like you know like kind of said before like i'm always looking to like what's next like okay well how am i going to evolve into the next form of myself right and it seemed like a good opportunity to you know utilize some of these relationships that i'd built with brands throughout the years like as a pro um to kind of get myself to the to the next stage and so I, as a chicagoan the obvious choice was sram right i was like well yeah i i, I want to work at sram like if i'm going to get a job in the bike industry i want it to be with sram and so i'm you know friends with a lot of srammies and uh frequently ride with is Sram that what you guys call each other yeah, yes it's like you, a, you can't just a, you can't just drop that and then just like keep walking like keep going yeah. it's like I, I don't you know call each like other secret, secret words but yeah Srammies. it's like it's, it's, oh, a right up. you know like i'm a sram okay uh so okay. I, you know i ride with, with a lot of a lot of srammies uh and you know just kind of pick their brains like look I'll be real with you. I've been a messenger for like the last 13 years. Like I don't have a college education. Like I have no degree, but like I've literally been doing marketing this entire time, right? Like I, yep. I, I understood that like what I was doing as, um, you know, what I refer to as a lifestyle athlete. Uh, you know, I wasn't an athlete because I was like, you know, the elite person winning every podium. I had these contracts and these relationships because of my my presence in the community for lack of a better term. Um, so, you know, I was like a lifestyle athlete. And so if you're not winning all these big races, it's like you have to do other things to, uh, to connect, right? And so that's how I learned how to do marketing it was just more like, well, I wanna keep getting these contracts. So I, I gotta do these things to do it, um, which in, you know, the late 20 teens and, and now is, is social media. So that was kind of like the way I was looking at it. I was like, well, I've basically built myself a resume. I've, I've earned a degree over the last, you know, decade or so. Um, I, I would like to take that and, and, you know, move, move into a career. And so at the time, you know, the, the only job openings at SRAM were in our warranty department, um, which is essentially, you know, we would be on the phone with bike shops and end users all day, uh, helping them out with technical questions and, uh, submitting warranty claims and 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 doing things of that nature and so uh covid hit the bike boom happened everything got crazy in the bike industry so they like most definitely needed people um so in august of 2020 i re retired the the messenger bag and uh briefly moved down to indianapolis to work in the warranty department there uh, i lived there long enough essentially to get trained to uh you know, work from home because, because, well, it was COVID and everybody was working from home. And then I came back to Chicago. Um, so I did that for like a year, learned a ton about our products, uh, a ton about just, just a ton of technical things that I didn't know before. Um, and uh, during that time, SRAM acquired Time Pedals which I was super stoked on. I've always ridden time pedals. Uh, if you're a messenger and you ride a fixed gear with no brakes, you probably ride time pedals. They're the best ones to ride. They're bomb proof. Like you won't unclip. There's like this whole cult around like time attack pedals. Uh, and I was definitely a, a follower of that cult. So, you know, they announced internally that, Hey, we've, we've acquired time. 
uh, Declan Doyle will be, you know, managing the brand and, you know, Declan was the brand manager at zip. And so like literally in the meeting where they were announcing this to us, I'm texting Declan, like, dude, let me know when you like assemble your team, like, uh, like, you know, like put me in coach, like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to, to join the marketing team. And, and that's kind of where I'm at now. So that's what I do, what I was doing for myself for like the last 10 years or so, uh, I now do for zip and time, um, on, on our Dude, social media so cool. and, and on the internet. It's, it's pretty rad. I'm not gonna lie. Like my job's sweet. Um, I, I get to do something that I feel like I'm good at. I, I still get to travel. It's a different kind of travel now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm traveling for the company and less for myself, but it, I'm, I'm still just in a position where I get to have all these really unique experiences. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I knew that if I wanted to be in the bike industry, I wanted to be at SRAM. I didn't want to go anywhere else. I didn't really have interest in going somewhere else. I figured if I, if I didn't work at SRAM, I probably wouldn't work in bike. Like I would take whatever skills I could convince someone else I had and, and, and go elsewhere. Well, I just think it's so cool. Like your story, like just, I mean, and, and, you know, cause I always think it's funny when you, when you talk to a person and it's like, if you could look at, you know, 15 year old Nico and be like, bro, this is what you're doing now. It's like kind of cool to think about, you know what I mean? And it's kind of oh, like sure. this and, and it's kind of like a, Hey listeners, if you're listening and you're passionate about something, it might not be the most conventional way to get to that something, but there's a way to that something. I think like you don't need a college degree to be in marketing. You don't need, um, you don't need to be skinny to be a professional cyclist. Like you don't totally. need to be this, this clean cut guy to be a professional cyclist. Like it's just, it's, it's, and that's what I think so cool about you. Um, and it's like, and that's, you know, going back to the pro messenger thing, it's like, bro, you were a Red Bull athlete in a, in a culture that probably didn't like Red Bull, which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> totally. Like, the, you know, the messenger is that kind of weird to say? Much, no, not at all. Like, uh, I, I, like I would much... think of a PBR helmet is the messenger culture. Totally. totally. <laughs> uh, I like, you know, on one level, like it, it definitely makes sense. Like it, it makes sense to Red Bull to, to support a community or like athletes like, like that. Um, for sure. But it's funny, like, uh, and I, I would always joke about this with, you know, my messenger buddies, like, you know, uh, like I definitely come from like a punk rock, you know, upbringing and like, you know, uh, you know, an anti-authoritarian, anti-capitalistic, you know, kind of mindset. Uh, yet at the same time, like I was earning money uh, delivering envelopes for Goldman Sachs and, you know, uh, these big banks. <laughs> Right. And so yeah. like, I was like, oh man, I'm doing this. Cause like, I don't want to be corporate and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, yeah, yeah. had it not been for corporate America, none of us would have had jobs. <laughs> like that was, yeah. like, we existed because of the financial sector or like, you know, the what, whatever real estate sector, like all these things that I often felt like I was, you know, the antithesis of like, I was, a servant to the to those industries so i always yeah. thought that was kind of funny and I, I would have to check myself sometimes and you know 
for, for sure, like a company like Red Bull is, is huge. It's a massive global brand. It is a big corporate entity. And so there definitely was like a lot of, of pushback within the community when people like me in Austin uh, would, you know, had contracts with these. And I think uh, being the first, Austin probably caught a, a bit more shit than I did. Uh, people were generally stoked uh, to see me, you know, get, get these things within that community or whatever. But uh, that doesn't mean that like, you know, I was safe from getting a hard time for any of it, you know? For sure. Um, you sold your soul to the man. <laughs> dude, totally. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and like, I was definitely taking corporate checks to do, uh, you know, my anti-corporate existence or whatever. Um, but also like, you know, it was, I, I, I feel like that community kept me grounded uh, in in yeah. a way, like I, I, it also made me realize like, okay, yeah, these kinds of things are temporary, you know, uh, this could end at any moment, like take it for what it is, you know, uh, don't let it go to your head, understand that like you are a, a marketing product uh, and you're, and you're being used to market another product. And, and, and so, you know, like it was always important to me to like keep, keep those things in perspective when it when it came to like having corporate sponsorship and, and things like that but that being said red bull was also like always down to say yes to like whatever wacky idea i had or like yo i want to go do this race and they'd be like yeah let's go uh or like wow. hey can you support this this messenger event that i'm throwing and and red bull is always there uh to support like like messenger championships, they've always been like a, yeah, yeah. or often, I shouldn't say always, they've often been a sponsor for CMWC, uh, for NAC, um, for some of the bigger alley cat races. So, you know, there's, there's you're always going to get a mixed bag of, of people who are like, no, nah, man, F that. I don't need any of that corporate shit in my life. And then there's going to be people. Well, one of the only, care. one of the only like fixed gear races still around. I mean, like with mission crit or whatever. And it's like in that Red Bull, yeah, no, for sure. That like, just happened. Yeah. Uh, the Red Bull Short Circuit and uh, and Bayline, um, which is coming up yeah. uh, next month, maybe. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I think it look cycling has always had some big company's name uh, emblazoned on a banner or on a jersey or like whatever. It's it's always been that way. Uh, and I, 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 I never really saw it as anything different. Like, uh, yeah, you know, like people used to have jerseys with real estate companies on it or agricultural companies. I just happen to have a Red Bull helmet that, you know, from an energy drink company, like, you know, whatever. That's but, wild. Uh, it was, it was really cool. Opened up a ton of doors for me. Like, I think having that experience allowed me to, uh, really do what I'm doing now. Like I was really kind of in a weird way when I didn't resign. Like I was like, you know, oh man, like what does this mean? Does this mean I'm I'm still gonna get to be an athlete? Like am I gonna be looked at as like, you know, cursed now by other brands? Like, you know, what's this gonna mean yeah. for my 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 future as a as a pro athlete? And honestly it was one of the best things that could have happened because it it forced me to like look to like I was saying before, like cool, man. What's next? That was great. Let's close that door. Let's, let's do what's next. No, that's sick, man. And, and kind of on that note, cause I don't want to keep you all night. Um, I got one more question for you and, yeah. and I ask 
everybody this question on this podcast and I never really prep anybody for it because I'm just kind of interested to hear what they'll say. Um, but if you could have a cup of coffee with one individual dead or alive, who would that individual be? Why would you have coffee with them? And what would you, how, like, how would you take your coffee? Uh, Prince, like no question about it. Prince. No question. Like, all right. hundred percent. Like I would sit down with his Royal badness Prince. Uh, my coffee would be black. Uh, he'd probably be drinking tea. Um, but like Prince to me is like, uh, one of my earliest like musical influences and, uh, has never been like anything, but exactly what he wanted to be in that moment. Like, yeah. A, a pro prolific artist and creator, um, whether it was something visual or musical or some terrible 80s movie, uh, he was always just like, I need to make this thing and put it out into the world and then we would be on to the next thing. Like, I now I have to make this and put it out into the world. Okay, that's over. Now I need to like make this and put it out into the world. And and like Prince had some clunkers. Like there's some Prince tracks where you're like, mm, I'll go to the next one. Uh, but that's <laughs> yeah. just because he was just constantly just like creating something producing, and, yeah. and producing something and, uh, whether or not it saw the light of day or not, like that wasn't what was important to him. What was important to him was, was creating something that was unique and, and original to him. And to me, that's like the most inspiring thing in the world. Like if, if everybody could have that feeling where they just like, I just need to do this for, for me, for myself for like who I am in this moment. Uh, I, I think a lot of people would be a lot happier. I think it's easy to get caught up in, in doing things for other people, whether that's like your job or, or your community or, or whatever. Um, I think the more you can just like, like I'm where I'm at because I said yes to a bunch of stuff that I was like, mm, this could go one of two ways. One of two <laughs> like, ways. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've, I've said yes to a lot of things and it's, and it's always enriched my life. Um, and so I think I get a lot of that influence from somebody like Prince. He's like, to me, the essence of like punk rock. Uh, and I mean, as a musician, obviously he's just the greatest. Like, uh, if I could play guitar or sing like that dude, even just a tiny bit, I'd be one of the best musicians in the world. That's yeah. That's a beautiful outlook, man. It's especially like saying, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of the things you said yes to, if not all the things you've said yes to are, you know, pretty much why you're where you are today and you wouldn't change it for anything, which is kind of cool, cool to think about and kind of gives everybody a good perspective. But anyways, guys, if you haven't already, please make sure you go check out Nico's social media. I'll put it down a link in the description below. Also, if you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Cheers.